can get me hopefully from this and not from that. So, hello, good evening. Um, this is the very first time I've stood up to preach in a church, which is quite scary. Um, so, um, I feel a need to probably pray first, actually, um, because it's a bit frightening. Dear, dear God, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much you're here with us on this evening where we can join together um, with songs and words from, from all around the world. Um, but we know that we worship you, the one God, and that you're here with us tonight. Uh, I pray that my words will speak to everyone here and that, that I will, you will speak through me this evening. Amen. So, um, when I first uh, chatted to Tom about um, how to preach, um, obviously because he's the expert in these matters, um, he, he said, well, read the passage, reread the passage, look at a commentary, uh, pray about it, think about it, uh, and leave it for a few days, and eventually um, God would tell me what key point I needed to get across. I thought, okay, that seems quite straightforward. Uh, so, set out to do that. And I read the passage, um, which is it's quite a long chapter, uh, and, and it seemed to be saying quite a few different things, and quite a lot of them were quite significant, and I thought, oh, no, which, which aspects of this do I need to bring out? Um, so there was a bit of doubt and confusion, and back to prayer, and back to thought and reading, and finally, after a few days, um, I was led towards one verse as a sort of overall theme, um, which was, uh, we love because he first loved us. Hence the title of this talk, um, so I'll go into that in a bit, a bit more detail um, as we go on this evening. Um, it's also really a privilege to be part of this international theme worship evening. Um, as I just said in the prayer, I really love the fact that although we've got many different cultures, uh, different countries represented here, uh, we're all worshipping together, um, uh, the same loving God, and whatever our own language, we can read and understand the same word of God in the Bible. Um, which is just an amazing privilege, really, isn't it? Um, so I hope I found something of, of what God wants me to say this evening and that God can speak through me and that you'll all hear something helpful um, to take away into the new week. Um, so, last week in the evening service, Sarah Morton talked about love from 1 John 3, uh, what it means to be loved, what Jesus told us about this. Um, pretty simple message that God is love. Uh, and the main headline I took away from last week, so correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, because obviously you're here. The main headline I took away uh, was that everything we know about love flows from God and that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate example of this. Have I got that right, more or less? Yeah. So Sarah did apologise in advance for any spoilers. Um, and that's really because on first glance, chapter four looks quite similar in some themes to the second half of chapter three. And uh, when I did read a, a commentary on this chapter, the author pointed out that key themes and ideas do sort of reappear in slightly different ways um, throughout this book, throughout this epistle. Um, so, as I've said, to begin with, I was quite apprehensive about preaching on this next chapter uh, because the idea that God is love just seems to, like totally obvious. Little children, if you're a new Christian, it's something you'll have already heard probably. Um, uh, so, so first I thought, is it just the author of this book is repeating the key message to sort of get it across, um, like you might if you were explaining something to somebody who, who just isn't listening. Um, as we all know, people often don't listen uh, in church or any other context. Uh, any parents or teachers here will be more than familiar with the concept of trying to hammer home 
something important by saying it in lots of different ways. I think we've, we've all done that. Um, however, as I read into it a bit more and prayed about it, I could see, of course, God has something further to say in this chapter, otherwise it wouldn't be there. Um, so I'm going to try and dive into what that might be. So after the message of the second half of chapter three, which we heard last week, uh, chapter four starts with something that looks like a bit of a change of theme uh, as the author urges the readers to test the spirits. So the context of this passage, um, it's believed, is that there had been various splits uh, within this community of Christians to whom the author's writing here. Um, some people began following false teaching, they'd left the community, uh, and that was mentioned in chapter two, verses and the author warns us not to believe everything we hear, but to test that what we're hearing is from the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and not from false spirits. Um, as we're aware, um, there is a spiritual battle going on all around us, uh, and the author picks this up in verse 3. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Um, so what he's saying there here is that we need to be aware of this. Um, be careful not to be fooled by false spirits. The author is asking us here to be attentive, uh, to recognise the spirit of God, uh, to recognise that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, as it mentions here, and testing carefully what we hear, read or listen to. I'm sure many of us have had that experience of listening to something or someone, to feeling what could be a prompting from God, and wondering if it's right or not. I mean, that's something that's, that's happened to me, and I'm sure has happened to many of us here. Um, however, we can be sure that if we test it, as this, this passage um, tells us to do, if we test this carefully against what we know of God from the Bible, uh, with prayer, with discussing things with, with other Christians, uh, we can discern the truth. Um, it puts me in mind of um, how Paul put this really well in the first letter to the Thessalonians. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Uh, that's certainly a verse that I've held on to over the years um, when I was wondering, you know, where, uh, if something I was hearing was from, the spirit, from, from God or not, test everything, hold fast to what is good. So how does this theme of testing the spirits link into the second half of the chapter, which returns to the theme of, of God is love that we heard about last week? So I think the key to this is uh, probably in verse four. Um, you, dear children are from God and have overcome them, so that's the false spirits, uh, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Quite, that's quite a big verse, isn't it? It's greater than the one who's in the world. That's to say that as followers of Christ, we've accepted Jesus into our hearts. He's got the ultimate and enduring victory over the devil. As Christians, we can have confidence that we are from God. We're abiding in God's love and so can recognize the truth from falsehood. Um, so we can hold fast to that, as Paul said. In verse 7 onwards, the end of the chapter, the author then lays out what that means in the context of God's love. So I'm going to talk about three key aspects of this. So, firstly, we need to love one another because God loved us first. In verse 10, we pick up the point from the previous chapter that Jesus' sacrifice was the ultimate example of God's love. So verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
So this deep love is the primary example we're asked to look to as we attempt to love each other. If we've, if we've accepted Jesus, follow him, continually seek his presence, reject false teaching, then we can have that confidence and security in God's love that enables us to reflect that love of God to others. On top of that, it says in verse 12, quite amazingly, that as we love one another, we make God's love complete in us. I just find that an incredible verse, suggesting that how we love one another is a visible outworking of the love of God, like the divine, almost like the divine becomes real through us. Uh, and we all know, of course, this is far easier said than done. Um, uh, we're human, we'll fail all the time, um, the, the spiritual battle that's raging is going to sabotage our efforts. Um, but I think this is one of those passages that's worth reading over and over and again. I mean, like so many passages in the Bible. Um, but this is a passage that's, that's well worth continually rereading, just to remind us of that depth and power of God's love. Um, uh, the amazingness of God's love being within us. It's a love that won't let us go, and it's living within us as we love one another. Secondly, my second point, this love is a strong and unshakable foundation to our lives. As it says in verses 13 and 14, we know about God's love in us because of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to testify to the truth about Jesus. We can only acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God because God is living in us and we in him through the Holy Spirit. This section uh, put me in mind of having solid foundations to a house, um, like in the parable Jesus told of the wise and foolish builders in Matthew chapter 7, a very well-known story, one that there's children's songs about. Um, so a, a building project that's a bit shoddy can look amazing on the surface, and it might attract all sorts of admirers, much like the false spirits mentioned at the beginning of the chapter attracted some people away from the teachings of Christ to false teachings. However, with, without the... Sorry, I'm going to start again. That's, I'm going to start that sentence again. However, uh, without the proper foundations, they will very soon begin to deteriorate and fall apart, and those admirers will just fade away. Um, there's no substance to that, is there? Um, so with God's love in us as our foundation, which we can fully rely on, um, we're empowered not only to love each other, but also to witness to others in a way that really endures. Thirdly, third point, um, perfect love casts out fear. As Sarah mentioned last week, uh, and talked about last week, God's love is not conditional as the world loves, but it's unconditional. So despite the fact that we're all imperfect ourselves, we don't need to be afraid of punishment. And we can have that confidence in eternal life. Um, as Sarah said last, last week, this is a truly revolutionary idea, um, both in the context in which this letter was written uh, and in our society today. Um, with the assertion in verse 17 that in this world we are like him, that is to say, we are like God. Um, again, an incredible verse to read. I, think, I do think many people, um, despite becoming Christians, still do have that fear. They aren't good enough. Um, they've made too many mistakes, they keep failing, how can God keep loving them? Uh, I mean, I certainly have those feelings all the time, that I've, I've failed God in some way. Um, of course, we do need to be aware of those failures. We need to confess, we need to repent, we need to attempt to put things right, but we don't have any need to fear because of the perfect love of God. And that's a really profound promise to hold on to when things get difficult. 
So that brings me to the, to the last section of this passage and back to the title of this talk, We Love Because He First Loved Us. Um, as I said at the beginning, I was searching for a sort of key message for today. What's the big theme? What does God want me to say? Um, and verse 19 was what really popped out to me. We love because he first loved us. And that verse, reading that verse, and it's sort of almost jumping out the page towards me, led me to a random memory of something I've seen on TV recently. Um, I don't know if anyone likes those. I mean, I really love those TV programs where um, a family has a really cluttered and disorganized house and a team of uh, presenters come in and they help them sort it all out. I absolutely love that sort of thing. I, I love getting rid of clutter and organizing stuff. I, I, mean, I can't stand clutter. I like sorting things. I love chucking things away. If anybody knows me, they'll know they love I love chucking things away. Um, so those sort of programs really do appeal to me. So on this show recently, there was a typical family. There was a mum, dad, three kids, and their house and possessions had got totally out of hand. Uh, it was quite easy to work out they were a Christian family because scattered around in all the clutter, there were CDs of worship music, there were Christian books, and there were loads of the sort of craft items and pictures that children love to show you after their Sunday morning groups, uh, which you probably go, oh, that's lovely, and... Well, I would say that's lovely and I throw it away in a couple of days, but some people keep these things, apparently. Um, uh, and in the kitchen, in this house, on a blackboard, was written, we love because he first loved us. Um, and I thought, how lovely. There's a family really putting God's love at the centre of their lives in the kitchen. Um, but of course, during the course of the programme, the kitchen was totally stripped, because obviously the rest of the kitchen was, it was pretty grim, and it was disorganised and dirty and whatever. Uh, so it was stripped down, it was cleaned, it was redecorated, it was reorganised, it looked amazing. But when we saw the blackboard again at the end of the show, it had written on it that generic slogan, live, laugh, love, which you may have seen in you know, uh, sort of pictures and houses and so forth. Um, there's nothing wrong with living, laughing and loving, clearly. These are all great things to do. Um, but for me, there was a really stark contrast between that Bible verse, which emphasises how we love one another because we are deeply rooted in the love of God, and that secular slogan, which really has got nothing behind it other than what we feel like doing at the time. Um, so the message, I think, the, the message of this chapter um, is that the love of God is not a surface love. It's a deep and amazing love. Um, and God showed that love by sending his son to die for us. It's deeply rooted within us. It enables us to test what is false and what is true. It empowers us to love one another. It empowers us to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. And it enables us to not live in fear. None of these can be done in our own strength. Um, I'm certainly not capable of loving everyone unconditionally. I'm not even capable of loving one person unconditionally. Um, I'm often scared of speaking the truth about Jesus. Um, I worry I'm not good enough. Um, but we can all have the confidence of the writer of this epistle. And he makes sure in different ways, as I hope I've laid out, um, that, we can all, that we all get that message, that he hammers home the message that God is love and what that actually means for us. So, as you head off into another week, um, why not just read this chapter again when you get home? Um, 
or in the morning or at some point this week. Um, spend a bit of time meditating on what it means to be loved by God, um, to have that depth of love and to have that perfect love rooted within us. How might holding on to that truth change our thoughts, change our behaviours this week? Um, how might we show that love to each other practically, both within this church, within this family, uh, within our families outside of here, looking outwards to our community and out to the wider world? Um, and if there's something you're fearful about, how might God's perfect love help you to cast out that fear? So if any of this has spoken to you specifically or challenged you um, or there's something you want to pray about, please do chat to someone afterwards. There's always people around who will pray with you. Um, if there's something you're fearful about, there's someone here who will pray with you. So don't walk away still feeling fearful. Um, find someone who can pray with you. Anyone will, I'm, I say anyone will do that. I'm sure many people here will do that. Um, and then take this this chapter out with you into, into the coming week, whatever you might be doing. Um, that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope it wasn't too short, and I hope it's been helpful in some way. Um, so let's end, uh, let's end with, a, with a prayer. So just some words from a hymn that came into my head when I was uh, looking at this, verse, at this chapter. Um, how wonderful, how marvellous, and my song shall ever be. How wonderful... How marvellous is my Saviour's love for me. Father God, we thank you all the time for your marvellous and wonderful love that's deeply rooted within us. Help us to grasp onto the truth of that, to remember that, uh, and to know that it enables us to, to seek out what is true and what is false, to keep following you, to keep seeking your presence, um, and to cast out fear from our lives. And I just pray that everyone here will take that message away with them this evening. Amen. <laughs>